When I was younger, there were certain moments in my life when I would try and avoid something as much as possible. You know, I, I, something I was supposed to do, needed to do, had to do, wait until the very last possible minute and hoping it would just kind of zoom by and I wouldn't have to real, really deal with it. At the time, you know, it made sense. I could put off the inevitable for quite a while. And then when the moment came, I just rushed through whatever the task was or whatever I needed to do and put it behind me as fast as possible. In my younger radio days, early 20s, I think I was, uh, it was fun being behind the microphone at a radio station, but I was asked to be an MC at a Halloween costume contest at a local mall, and there was going to be hundreds of people there. And I thought, oh, I can't do this. But I said, okay, I'll do it. Maybe because they said you have to do this. I don't remember the exact circumstances. You know, I knew the day was coming. I, I knew it was coming and I stressed about it all the time for weeks, probably three or four weeks, knowing that it was happening. I didn't know how to do it. I'd never done anything like this before. And I thought, well, I'll just somehow manage to get through it. And I did somehow manage to get through it. I don't remember anything about it. Although there's a lot of pictures of that there, not of me, but there's a lot of pictures of the costumes that exist. Uh, you know, I just stressed about it. Didn't want to learn how to do it. Didn't want to try and figure it out. Didn't want to. I just wanted to get through it one piece at a time. So um, I avoided it. I think we avoid a lot of things. Hey, this is Tim Patterson. This is Trade Show Guy. Monday morning coffee for September 30th. I'm actually recording this a few days earlier. Friday morning it is in Salem, Oregon. And I was out for a walk this morning about 7 o'clock with the dog. And it was chilly, like mid-40s. So I threw on a brand new, fairly brand new, uh, sweatshirt and hoodie that I got. Courtesy, I want to give a shout out to Wild Brian. Last uh, winter, I guess, when we were doing a, an exhibit for them, uh, I, I, I kept thinking to myself, I need to go shopping for a sweatshirt hoodie. The one I have is old. It's The sleeves are getting frayed and stuff. And after the project was done, uh, Joni at Wild Brian uh, was very nice, and she sent me a care package. And I opened it up, and I went, this is what I've been looking for. It's a sweatshirt with a hood on it. So shout out to them. It, it's I've been still wearing it because, you know, don't turn the heat on yet. It's fall. Why would you do that, right? It's probably in the mid-60s inside the house. So anyway, there we go. Uh, <laughs> you know, so uh, going back to that experience in radio where I was literally freaking out and losing sleep over the prospect of having, having to be an MC at a small radio station event, I look back on that experience and, and, and it finally dawned on me, I really should learn how to speak in public. It's been scaring me. I've been avoiding it. One of the big things I avoided for years in my life, because I think most of us avoid things if we don't have to really do it. But I, I thought, I need to learn this. How do I learn this? And someone mentioned Toastmasters to me. And I thought, Toastmasters? Okay, I'll go check it out. And about the time I turned 40, I joined a Toastmasters group and slowly figured out what public speaking was. Got pretty comfortable at it. I still do it on occasion, not a lot, but uh, uh, it's kind of fun. And I and I learned it's it's a craft. You learn how to do it. You you pre uh, prepare for it. You organize it. You write it. You learn how to do it with and without notes. And you know, just it's just one of those things you can learn. In fact, in the several years that I was in that group, I entered several contests, local, regional. And uh, won the humor speaking contest at a few levels for a couple of years. That was a lot of fun. So I figured out a lot about public speaking. I had come to the point of no longer avoiding it. So why do we avoid things, whether in personal or business life? I, you know, mainly it's because it's a stressful situation. We want to avoid stress. I think we do it more than we think we do. 
certainly there are times when we feel comfortable and we don't hesitate to speak up and say what's in our mind or to jump into something we might otherwise avoid. But avoidance of a stressful situation is a way of coping. You know, there may be that person at work who just makes you uncomfortable by their actions and you go out of their way to having to deal with them. You know, you know, you hear them down in like the, the, the commissary of the kitchen and you go, I'm not going to the kitchen to get my lunch right now to the fridge. I'm just going to wait till, wait till they're gone. You, know? <laughs> you see it happen in organizations, kicking the can down the road, the political world when dealing with something is so difficult to the organization, which will last longer than the people sitting on the board or on the city council or in Congress, will simply decide not to decide and they'll just, you know, kick the can down the road. It's a difficult decision. We can't do it right now. We'll just leave it for the next people. Uh, we might avoid doing things like cleaning house because, you know, it's a big mess and we know it'll take a lot of time and energy. It's just a big project. We might avoid going out to dinner with someone we just met because we think, you know, we're, we're horrible at small, small talk, for instance. We might avoid taking a walk every day because, you know, even though we know it's good for us, it's, you know, the weather isn't good. There's something on TV. I got other things I should do. So we avoid, avoid, avoid for much of our life. Lots of times we have good excuses. Some of them are, you know, pretty reasonable. Much of the time we avoid things because it's the easy way out. Are you taking the easy way out and avoiding things that you should be doing? Are you Avoiding things because it's a good thing to avoid whatever it is you're avoiding. You know, maybe maybe there's a valid reason. So how do you stop avoiding things like having that difficult conversation or, or taking on a big project, whatever it may be, that work or home, or the chance that you'll make someone angry? And that's a question uh, that I've asked, and, and I've come up with something. A friend of mine and I used to ask this. We'd go on vacation. We, you, you probably heard me talk about this. we go every year down to Monterey, and, and years ago we started asking ourselves, hey, maybe we should go do something, something. And then we'd say... What's the worst that could happen? Who's going to stop us? And so I think that's a good way to frame it. What's the worst that can happen? Will I end up dead? Well, probably not. So that won't be the worst that could happen. Will I be embarrassed and shunned? Yeah, probably not. So what's the worst that could happen? Can I handle the worst? Yeah, I can handle it no matter what it is. So, you know, who's going to stop you? Only you. That's who. So take that big project and break it down into a series of small pieces. Instead of assuming that difficult conversation will go bad, consider what good could come out of it. Consider what can I learn from it? So if you talk to yourself in a negative way and examine all the bad things that can happen, you got to catch yourself and go down that rabbit hole. Don't go down it. Yeah, don't go down it. Uh, do your best to control your behavior. You can't control the outcome, but you can control your behavior. Most of the time, anyway. Uh, for instance, um, I do a lot of sales. And, you know, calling people up that you've met or haven't met, and you're just trying to introduce yourself to them, that's a difficult thing to do. I can't control if they're going to buy from me. I can avoid making the call. But if I, uh, you know, control my behavior and know that I got to make, you know, 10 calls today, 10 tomorrow, whatever the number is, I can't control the outcome, but I can control the behavior. So you can't control the outcome, but you can control your behavior. And also be as objective as possible. It's, it's, you know, it's hard to get out of our own way. Kind of put yourself as, I'm way up here. I'm looking down at this situation. Let's just see what happens when I put myself in this situation. So objectivity can go a long way. Yes, avoidance happens probably more than we'd like to admit. But if you recognize it, you can take steps to deal with it. It's all about learning and moving forward. The less you avoid simply for the sake of avoiding something that stresses you out, makes you more prepared to handle it the next time. All right. So that's my riff on avoidance. Uh, I got a trade show tip 
of the week I want to share a few, uh, with you comes from my second book, uh, Trade Show Superheroes and Exhibiting Zombies, available on Amazon. Uh, the list is 10 things to look for in competitors' trade show booths. Yes, when you go to a show, you want to try and pitch your products, but check out your competitors. Here's what uh, you should be looking for. You make time to walk the floor and just see who's there, first of all. And if there's a competitor, look for a few things. Uh, new products or services. What are they launching? What's in the booth that wasn't there last year, for instance? Who is not in the booth? They have new people. They have someone new that uh, you don't recognize, a new management uh, person, for example. Number two, size of the booth. Did the booth increase or decrease in size? And does that increase or decrease tell you something about them? Do they have a brand new booth? Same size, but man, it's just entirely different. And do they do that every couple of years? You know, are they investing heavily? I mean, you, you can see all these things and read uh, you know, what their plan is by seeing their booth because it's all on display. That's what trade shows are all about. Uh, number three, lead generation. Do you get a good sense of what their lead generation and capture method methods are? Number four, people. I mentioned that. Uh, who's there? Do they have management along with booth staffers? How many are there? Uh, number five, preparation and engagement. Do, does the booth staff act prepared or do they look bored and not sure what they should be doing? Do they greet visitors properly? Do they have a, a good question or they just sit behind a table and, and kind of avoid, like there's that word again, avoid eye contact with people? Uh, number six, exhibit function. Is there easy access to their booth or do they have tables or other items blocking the path? Does it look cluttered? Does it look clean? Is there a significant meeting space? You can tell a lot about a company by what they do at a trade show. Uh, number seven, messaging. Is their brand message consistent throughout, or does it leave you wondering, what are they really trying to do here? It's it's confusing. Hmm. Number eight, visitors. Are they getting a lot of visitors? They get more than you. Or do you recognize any visitors as targets that you would like to connect with? Huh. Catch them as they go away and say, hey, come see our booth. Uh, number nine, giveaways. Do they have giveaways? If so, what are they giving away? What are they handing out? And is there any conversation that goes on prior to that, you know, handing out of the freebie before that happens? Uh, and number 10, uh, presentations. Are they are they giving presentations in the booth? Do they have a professional presenter or is it someone from management? How is that working out for them? Uh, is it a hired pro? Is it some member of management? And how many people come? Do they get a lot of uh, leads out of that? So, you know, it's lots of things you can learn about your competition by seeing what they do at a trade show. So don't just go to the trade show and pretend that you're just there do, to do your thing, which you are, of course, but see what else is going on and especially check out your competition. All right. So let's wrap it up with this week's one good thing. I just read uh, this morning uh, the BBC is doing a kind of a special what they call pop-up radio. Uh, for four days, I think it ends on the 30th or the 1st of October. So, uh, But they are archiving this stuff and they're putting it on their website for, I think, a month. And it all revolves around the 50th anniversary of the release of The Beatles' Abbey Road. So they've got a lot of interviews. they got uh, Paul McCartney already interviewed talking about songwriting and, and just a bunch of great stuff archived. Hour-long programs, half an hour-long programs, two-hour-long programs. I'll put a link in the show notes to the BBC2 pop-up radio archive but check it out soon because this stuff will only be there uh, by the time this comes out on Monday the 30th for, you know, another three, three and a half weeks. So take a look. If you're a Beatle fan, BBC's, uh, BBC 2's pop-up radio, that's this week's one good thing. Have yourself a great week. It'll be October next time 
uh, we connect again. I know, I know. Halloween and all that stuff. Have yourself a great week. (laughs) 